Today is an exciting day uh, because we are going to be wrapping up a series that we've been in for quite a while now. Uh, this is the last message within the Joshua series. If you felt like we've been in Joshua for a very long time, you would not be wrong in thinking that. Uh, this is, I went and counted just to make sure I got my count right. This is message number 45. Uh, we started Joshua back in October of 2018, and uh, we've taken some breaks with Christmas and Easter and things like that. But uh, we are going to be wrapping up this series. I'm excited to share with Mike and Charlie uh, this last week about where God is leading us into the, the end of this year and into 2020. Um, but if you have your Bibles with you, I know the series is called Joshua, uh, but we are actually going to be in Judges today. And I'll tell you why here in a second. We're going to be in Judges chapter 2. And so as you make your way there, if you are a multitasker, then I'll help you out. And why we're going to be in Judges 2 instead of the very last few verses of Joshua 24. In Joshua 24, you can read them if you feel like you will leave Joshua uh, incomplete. You can read them later in your time. I'm going to make reference to them. Verses 29 through 33 is basically a wrap-up of Joshua's life as it is coming to a close. Uh, for several chapters before that event, the Lord told Joshua that he is old and advanced in years, and his time is, is almost up. He kind of gives a recap of Joshua's life and what he has done, uh, the people who lived in his life, where Joshua eventually settled before he died. We come into the book of Judges, and you may or may not be familiar with the book of Judges. Uh, Josh, in Judges chapter 1, we are giving a recap of the people and how they lived after the death of Joshua. Matter of fact, the opening of Judges says, after the death of Joshua, and the people began doing work, but through the work that they did, they did not did it to, com to completion or in full obedience to God, which leads into the events that happen within the book of Judges. Uh, Judges is part of the historical part of the Old Testament. Joshua begins it in Judges, and then it runs on through for several more books, leading through the monarchy and the kingdom, and eventually the civil war and the fall of Israel as a nation. Well, in Judges chapter 2, we are giving the background to the events of Judges. And basically, Judges is a spiritual roller coaster uh, for the people of God. But it also brings the book of Joshua to an unsettling conclusion. If we were able to end Joshua's life and the legacy he left by, by the last few verses of Joshua 24, we would end on a high note. Unfortunately, we're dealing with people much like us who wrestle with sin and the sinful nature and living for God uh, consistently and faithfully, and we see that, that we don't always do that. And beginning in Judges chapter 2, we're going to begin reading. And this is a recap, and we know it's a recap because in verse 6 it says Joshua dismissed the people. So what the narrator has done here, led by the Spirit, is to recap some events after Joshua's death to begin setting up the remainder of the book. But anyway, let's read verses 1 through 10 of Judges chapter 2. And we're going to walk through this, and we are given a very strong warning, I believe, today uh, as the people of God through this passage. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilga to Bacham and said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? 
So now I say I will not drive them out before you, but they will become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. And as soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept, and they called the name of that place Bacham, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. When Joshua dismissed the people, so this is looking back now, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years, and they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath-Herez, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Let's pray once again. So, Father, I thank you for just being able to worship you and your faithfulness. No matter what we go through in life, Lord, you are our constant rock and our anchor. Father, there's not a storm that comes upon us that you are unaware of. There's not a storm that has come upon us that you have not prepared us for. And, Lord, I pray in this moment, this time, that it be your word and your word alone that comes out of my mouth. Father, that your spirit would we deal with all of our hearts, that you would teach us and train us, rebuke us, correct us. Father, we may be thoroughly equipped for the good work you've planned for us. I thank what you're doing here at Harvest Hill. I thank you the way you continue to sanctify your bride. And Lord, let us be people who gather in your name and lift you up, that you alone will be glorified, that your kingdom and will be the only thing that is done in this place. So Lord, let our minds be focused on you. Let our ears be attentive to you. Let our hearts be softened that your word may take root. Father, forgive me for where I failed you. Forgive me for those, those things that I continue to wrestle with. Father, I thank you that your grace is sufficient. And I thank you that you are continuing to do a good work in me and as you're going to do in all of us this morning. And Lord, I, I pray that you just guide and lead us as our shepherd to where we need to be before we close our time together here. Be with those who can't be here this morning. Be with those who are out and about. Father, that your spirit would just put a longing and a desire to be back with their brothers and sisters in Christ. But Father, we hear and we, we thank you for allowing us to be once again in your holy presence. We pray for this time. Lord, that you do the work that only you can do. And I pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So let's walk through this this morning. Let's kind of dive into it. As mentioned, this is kind of a recap, setting up what happens in the book of Judges. And the reason we're tying it to the end of Joshua is because it really helps us understand the importance of all this, this talk and all this uh, learning from that particular book of Joshua. If we just hear it, but we don't apply it, and we don't pass it on, there's a huge warning here within the book of Judges. It says in verse 1, Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bacham. Now the word angel could probably be better read as, as messenger. If you uh, picture, when you picture angels, if you picture someone with a halo or a harp or fluttering wings, you need to get that out of your mind immediately. Never in scripture is an angel depicted in such a manner. An angel is one when they would show up, people would see an angel and immediately have fear in their hearts. We know that they shine particularly with light. They usually brought a message from God, or they always brought a message from God. And this particular angel comes. We don't know exactly why the people are going from Gilga to Bacham. 
Gilgal was kind of the home base for Joshua and the Israelites. Is where they set out with the with the promise or in the Promised Land conquest. It's pretty close to where Jericho was. We don't know the physical location of this area, but we can kind of piece it together in a in a certain uh, mileage from where Jericho was. We do not know. Scripture does not let us know why they were going to balk them. But if you look in verse. Uh, Five of your Bible, unless you're on an uh, electronic device, you can find the word Bacham once again, and there should be some sort of notation after that name, which will take you down to the bottom portion of your scriptures to let you know that Bacham means weepers. So in verse 1, they're heading to Bacham, but Bacham's not yet named. In verse 6, it receives its name because of what the message that the angel brings to the people. And this is a humorous picture we have. You have this massive army who just had many victories in war, and now they are crying like babies because of the word that God has brought to them. Well, what is that word? Well, it's a word of judgment, which is really setting up the book of Judges. And the word is that I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you in the land I swore to give your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And that's so important when coming into the book of Judges and ending up the life of Joshua. God says, look, I, I will not break my promises. My word will always remain true. And in our life today, in 2019, the same thing applies. This word will always be true. It doesn't matter what goes on in the world. It doesn't matter what politicians pass in legislation or laws. This is the word of God. It is eternal and it will never fade. We can always turn to this and we can always trust it. And so God says, look, I have been faithful to you. My, co my covenant with you has not been broken on my part, but, and there's a big but there, even though he says, I will not break my covenant with you, he says this was part of it, you will, break no, you will make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land, you shall break down their altars, and you're saying, but, and when you read a but in scripture, you should always take time to say, what is it pointing to? But, you have not obeyed my voice. We have to keep in mind, Joshua has led the people of Israel for the last 7, 10, 15 years. There's some debate on how long he actually did it. But he's led the people. He's kind of been their, their replacement for Moses. But now Joshua's gone. So you have the elders, the leaders of the people who are now leading and trying to drive people closer to God. But the problem is they are not being faithful to God and what God told them to do. If you want to know exactly how they failed, just go back and read Judges chapter 1. Judges gives an incredible detail about failure after failure after failure of the tribes that lived in the land where did not drive out the inhabitants that continued to dwell there. And not only did they not drive them out, the implication is they, they allowed the altars, the idols, the idolatry to remain in land as well. And so God brings this judgment. You have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? And so now he says, even though I promised to drive them out, and that's the connection to Joshua, he says, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides and their gods will be a snare to you. The image is this is going to be painful. Because you have been disobedient, the result of your disobedience is going to lead to pain in your life. The response of the people, in verse 4, the Lord spoke the words people. The people lifted up their voices and wept. It's a sign of repentance. And they called the name Bacham, which means weepers, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. It's an image that the people understood this message from the angel. 
And we shouldn't get caught up that the angel was speaking to the people because within the book of Judges, this format happens 19 times. But within the book of Judges, this is the only time to which the people repented in such a way. They repented and they returned to the Lord. They, they offered themselves to him. And so now with this understanding, the writer of Judges goes back a little bit and says, When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. So we're kind of backtracking a little bit. Think of it like your TV shows you like when it gives a recap before it starts a new episode. That's what the narrator is doing here. And so the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. This is good news for us. It says the people were faithful to God during the days of Joshua, while he led, while he was commissioned as their leader, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. So now that they've made this confession of repentance, now that Joshua's gone, the people still are remaining faithful. And I'm just pointing this because this is, this is very important to understand because they had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. Now verse 8 of chapter 2 is a direct connection to the final verses in chapter 24 of Joshua. Matter of fact, it is almost word for word of what is stated in Joshua chapter 24 at the very end. That they buried him and he died. And here's where we're going to hang out this morning. In verse 10. It says, In all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. What it's telling us is this generation that served the Lord after Joshua died, they remained faithful to God. They followed Him. They were obedient to Him. They, they seemed to have a genuine repentance of verse 4 and 5 of chapter 2. But then it says, And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that He had done for Israel. And I've read Judges numerous times. But this jumped out, and I think, I think it helped because we were in Joshua for so long that this kind of blew my mind away. We've seen Joshua and the Israelites come across the Jordan River. We've seen Joshua and the Israelites set up memorial stones. We've seen Joshua and the Israelites take Jericho and, and suffer defeat, but then rise and, and repent and return to the Lord with eyes. We've seen Joshua and the Israelites take the northern and the southern kingdoms. We've seen Joshua lift up prayers for the sun to stand still, and it happened. We've seen Joshua give the inheritance of the land and commission the people to serve God, and they verbally made that, com that comment or that commitment to God. We are going to serve the Lord. He is going to be our God. We've walked through the book of Joshua. As we come into the book of Judges, verse 10 says, All that generation were also gathered fathers. They died just like Joshua died. They were not eternal. The, Joshua was not eternal. And then there arose another generation. And here it is. This is not like their grandkids or their great-grandkids. These are their kids. So you've got these armies and you've got these priests that were serving God and offering sacrifices and seeing the mighty work of God and their very children did not know the Lord or the work that He had done for Israel. Think about that for a second. If you've got kids or grandkids. What or how would it impact you to know 
You served God your entire life and were faithful to Him. But your kids didn't know anything about it. They didn't know any of the stories. They didn't know any of the sacrifice, any of the power, any of the authority. The language here in verse 10 means that they did not have a relationship with God. They didn't have any knowledge of Him. And that's huge because what happens throughout Judges begins in verse 11. Because they did not know the Lord. And because they did not know the work that He had done for Israel. How He provided for them and led them and fought for them and won their victories. The people of Israel did was evil in the sight of the Lord. And they served Baals. They served false gods. It's a horrible way I know to wrap up the book of Joshua. But as I thought on this, this is so important for us because it only took one generation to forget all that God had done. One generation. Matter of fact, this statement is very similar to the way the book of Exodus begins. When we're told that there arose a generation who didn't know the Lord, the work that had done, the book of Exodus begins that there was a king who rose in Egypt who did not know the work of Joseph. And the work of Joseph goes back to the ending of Genesis where Joseph was brought to Egypt, but he allowed Egypt to rise to power because God gave him the wisdom to know that a famine was coming. And so people began selling themselves and selling their houses and, and, and selling their grains so that they could continue to live. But then someone rose up who didn't know the history. He didn't know the story. didn't know what God had done. The same thing is happening here. that This generation rose up who didn't know what God had done for Israel, the work that he had done. And the question that came to my mind that I think as parents and grandparents, we all have to ask ourselves, how can one generation be deemed faithful when the very next one is unfaithful? How can one generation know God and, and have experienced God and seen God's power and seen how God has provided and the very next generation has no clue? The reality is we're all in danger of that happening. The question for us is how faithful can we say we really are if we're setting up the next generation for failure? What Israel failed to do here, if you have your Bibles, make your way to Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you have your electronic devices, then just push that book at the top of the left corner of your screen. What happens in Judges chapter 2 to wrap up the life of Joshua in the book of Joshua is a text gives a witness to the apparent failure of the community to keep alive its memory of Yahweh's gracious saving acts. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, and this is when Moses was still leading the charge, we see that the failure that led to the judges and the failure that led to Joshua's legacy not being extended was because the people failed to live out what is known as the Shema. The word Shema means here. If you look in Judges, or Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, you see the very first word is here. And so the Israelites, this was a very key passage of Scripture. Matter of fact, they quoted it. They memorized it. I'm going to read it here in a second, and you're going to, it's going to sound familiar. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. It should sound familiar because that's what Jesus quoted as the greatest commandment when he was asked. 
What is the greatest commandment? He quoted what is known as the Shema. But it goes on. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently. That word diligent means to repeatedly teach them to your children. Over and over. Kind of like we would talk about as practice this in, in our day. You do something over and over again so you can get better at it, so you can know what you're supposed to be doing, so you can know why you're supposed to be doing it. You shall repeatedly teach these commands to your children. And not only teach them, but you should talk of them when you sit in your house. They should be your conversation in your home. And when you walk by the way, when you go about your daily business, you should talk about them with people you interact with. When you lie down at bed, you should talk about them. When you rise up in the morning, you should be talking about them. Basically, it's saying the command of God should be all about your conversation. That's what you should be talking about. You should be talking about my word. You should be talking about my law. You should be talking about the people that are closest in your life and those that you love the most. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and there shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Basically, you should be covered in this. You should be covered in this word so much that when people interact with you, they have to have conversations about it because they can't get around it. And I read this passage, and this passage came to mind, but I had to go read some commentaries to make sure I wasn't going crazy. This was the failure of Israel. You had one generation who served God faithfully all the days of their life. That's what Scripture defined them as. They, they served God. They, they worshipped Him. They, they went to the, the tabernacle and out for sacrifices. They, they read His Word over and over again. They followed the advice of Joshua chapter 1 to not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. They did all of these things faithfully, but their fallout, and the fallout of Joshua is this, is they did not pass it on to the next generation. They hoarded God's word instead of sharing it and teaching it. We've gone through Joshua, and within the book of Joshua, there are three times that memorial stones were set up. And two of those times, it's with a preface that when your children ask you what this means, you're to tell them this. The first memorial stone happens after the Jordan River, and that's how Joshua says, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? You're to tell them what God has done in bringing you out of Egypt, how God allowed you to cross the Jordan River. At the very end of Joshua, they set up a stone called Witness. And it's to be a memorial stone. When, when the people of God see this stone, they're to ask, and they're to tell the stories of how God provided us through this land and gave us this land because of His faithfulness and His promises. And now that we are here, we are committing ourselves to Him. So they had these physical markers in life that were to remind them to have these conversations with one another. What are our conversations like in our homes? What are we talking about? I'll confess, this last week, man, we were talking about Disney+. Plus. I'm not going to lie. We were talking about Star Wars. And those aren't bad conversations. But our home's filled with conversations about what God is doing and what God has done. If I'm not sharing with my kids my experiences with God 
and how I know God and the work that God has done in my life, then I'm setting Ethan and Abby up for failure. I'm setting them up as a generation that when they become adults, they don't know God themselves. They don't know the work He's done leading up to this moment. See, this blows my mind because going back to Judges chapter 2, when it says that they did not know the Lord or the work that He had done, we have a generation who saw their parents become faithful to God and serve God all their life. But when their parents passed away, they didn't know why they lived where they lived and what they were supposed to be doing when they were there. They were completely oblivious. So what has God given us to enable us to teach the next generation? And when I say the next generation, I just don't mean our kids. Our grandkids, I mean even those younger in the faith. See, we are all to be teaching the next generation the future church so that the church can be even greater when we leave. Well, what did Joshua and the Israelites have? They had this. Well, they didn't have all of it, but they had the law. They had the Word of God, and here's the thing. We have to, as God's people, and I know many of us already do this, we have to see this book as more than just a book. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, says that all Scripture, every word in this, even, and I'm reading through Leviticus right now, and so I'm really having a debate with God about this verse. But it says all Scripture is God-breathed. It comes from the mouth of God. And, and, and so there's parts of Scripture I read through, I'm like, oh, God, why did you breathe this part out? <laughs> All of it is God-breathed, meaning God spoke it. In 2 Peter, we're told that the Holy Spirit delivered it to man and they wrote it down. So basically what we have is God spoke to men through His Spirit and people were just writing it down and recording. In our day and age, it would be like taking out your phone and going up to God and hitting the record button, just allowing Him to speak and hearing the voice of God. So it amazes me when people say, I just want to hear from God. You just want to pick up the Bible and say, here, read it. It's His voice recorded for all mankind to hear. It's His Word eternally written. But sometimes even Christians see this book as something, you know, I better make sure I have with me in some format when I come to church. And it's beneficial if I get into it during the week, but Sometimes some weeks are busy. And, well, there's a lot of stuff in there I don't understand, so I don't really know if I should read it. If I, I just, no, there's, there's no debate about this. We're children of God. If we have accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord Savior, we are children of God. He is our Father. And just as much as I love talking to my earthly father, I should want more to hear from my heavenly father. And I don't need to put a time stamp on it. Well, you should be reading your Bible at least this many, day, many minutes a day. Or we should have a desire in our hearts that I want to be in this. And if I don't understand it, that's fine. I can write questions down and I can bring those to my brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe we can walk through it together. We can have our own Bible study. But the people of God in Joshua, they had the Word of God. They had those boring parts, Leviticus. Oh, 
read Leviticus. If you, you don't, I mean, just, just read it. I'm on the, the leper part, you know, the cleansing of the lepers. and I'm just. But they had that part. They had the law, the, the do's and the do nots. And they were to cling to that. We've got that, and then we've got the fruition of it in Jesus Christ. And so I don't, I don't get it why we wouldn't want to be in this. But not just for our own personal benefit, it's for the benefit of our kids and those younger in the faith. So when they see us with the Word of God in front of us, when they see it written on our shirts, when they see it written in our houses, they can come to us and say, what does that mean? Why do you read the Bible so much? Why do you listen to people preach and teach on the Bible so much? And we can respond not because you're supposed to. Because this is God's voice. Creator in the heavens and the earth had this written down because he wants to talk to me and he wants to talk to you personally. And I want to know what he wants to say. Joshua, they had this just like we have it. Get into your Bible. But they also had memorial stones. They had things set around the, the land to remind them of what God had done and who God was. I mean, that's literally what they were for. To, to engage in conversations about the glory of God. And yet a generation arose who didn't know the work. They would see these stones like, I don't know what that means. Do you know what that means? And so there's a danger in church today that we can do the same thing because God has given us memorial stones in the church that we've got to have conversations about with our kids and with those younger in the faith. The church used to call them sacraments. And whether we call them that today, I don't care. But we have the things like baptism and the Lord's Supper and worship. You know, I grew up going to church my whole life. My dad was the pastor. My mom was typically the choir music director. So in my head, Sunday was church day. You go to church on Sunday. I mean, there's, unless you are sick, you go to church on Sunday. You didn't... When I was Abby's age in, in elementary school, a little bit younger actually, um, I wanted to play football. And so my dad took me to a place where you're going to sign up for football. And the first thing he asked is, when are the games? And when do you practice? And so, well, we practice, you know, once or twice during the week, and our games are on Sunday. And as soon as the guy said the games were on Sunday, I was like, dang it! My dad didn't even ask when, what time the games were. He looked at me and said, sorry, you can't play on Sunday. I was so mad at my dad for that because the games didn't start to like one. We're at church by one. I mean, unless you go really long, Dad. But he wanted me to know that there was something special about Sunday. We go on vacation. We were one of those families. You're on vacation on, and it's a Sunday. You know what you do on vacation on a Sunday? Ugh. Disney World's down the road, Dad. What are you going to a church for? But it was something that my dad made a point to know is important. So when I would ask, why are we doing this? 
And he would tell me, it is important that we be with God's people and we worship God. Sometimes it's inconvenient because it, it's not about what we can fit into our plan or our calendar. But here's what this is, this worship. You know, it's not just something we do on Sunday. We do. You know, other churches do it on Saturdays and Mondays and Wednesdays. We do it on Sunday. But when we gather to worship, you know what we're doing? We're stating that we are the family of God, adopted by God as heirs to His kingdom. And we're gathering to just get a small preview of eternity. That's what happens when we gather in the name of God, whether there's 20 people here, whether this room is packed out. Every time we gather as a testimony, we belong to God and He has adopted us and claims us as His own. That's why we're worshiping Him. And that's why He's worthy of it. And so I don't have to like every song that Jackson sings. I don't even have to know every song. I do. I do, buddy. But I don't have to know it either. Because you know what? It's not about me. It's not about me leaving worship and saying, well, worship was really good today. <clears throat> so what? If, it, if that's all the, the only reason I come for church is because it better be good today, then I'm making it about me instead of him. So we gather to lift him up and proclaim him that his kingdom and his will would be done. And we worship him through songs and through testimony and through the reading of his word. But this isn't just worship time. This is a testimony to the world that we believe God is the one true God and that we are His children. We have the Lord's Supper. And you can read through scriptures a lot of times that just remind us to come with the proper heart and attitude towards the Lord's Supper. But Jesus set up the Lord's Supper just like memorial stones in Joshua to remember. To remember, this is my body that's broken for you. Remember, this is my blood that was spilled out for you. This is a time to remember the heavy cost of your salvation and your adoption into my kingdom and as my family and my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, I don't know that this happens here, but I've seen it happen before. Well, since we're having the Lord's Supper today, you know, you probably should trim your sermon down a little bit. Because that takes... A about 10, 15 extra minutes. It's not about, uh, it's about remembering what was done for us. But those are great conversations. I love, this is why we invite children to come back when we have Lord's Supper and Children's Church. Because there are kids, and you all get to see it because I have a better perspective than you on about this, but there are kids that the, the plate passes and they get really mad at mom and dad because they want the juice or they want the bread. And I, I've seen this almost every time we've had the Lord's Supper in the last three years. Child's worshiping Jesus, I'm sure. But parents... What a great opportunity God has given you right then and right there because that heart is saying, why? Why can't I have that? What does this actually mean? So we need to have that conversation. Baptism's another one. What a great conversation 
a physical representation, a physical memorial stone God has given us to represent our, our profession and confession faith that we believe we do not get baptized so that we can make sure that we're saved. Baptism is not salvation. Okay? If it was, then that means I can do something to get it. Baptism is a confession of my faith that I believe Jesus Christ died, and so I go in the water and He rose again and I come out of the water. And there are people that think it's just some sort of ritual, just something you have to do, or something you're born and your parents did for you. But that's not what Scripture says. It is a symbol representing I believe Jesus is the Son of God, the only way to the Father, that He died for my sins and rose again, and I want everybody to know that. It is our first step of obedience and following Christ. And so if you have accepted Jesus Christ, but you've not been baptized, it's really something you should be praying about. Why haven't I done that? Why haven't I set up that memorial stone in my life so I can share with the younger generation or those younger in the faith that God brings to my life? This is why I was baptized, because I believe. And right now, well, not, not today, because some of you all know this, because you've got kids in here. We have children's church. Wednesday nights, we have Bible studies for all ages and students. And this isn't the announcement part. But these are things that God has set up and given us the ability to do here. So we as parents and those who have walked with God longer, we can have conversations. Hey, what did you talk about in children's church? Hey, what did you talk about tonight during Bible study on Wednesday Night Live? And if you... If you don't have kids in those Bible studies, then just ask some of the kids that are like, you know, patiently waiting, as they always do at the end of Wednesday Night Live. So what do you all talk about? What do you think that means? See, we have to engage the next generation with the word and the things of God, or we set them up for failure. So we're being called accountable. The results are obvious. And I think we're beginning to see the results of it even more so in our world because we're not taking the Word with us and everywhere we go. There's other things around you. Creation proclaims the handiwork of God. The tithe. Why do we give money at church? I mean, are they, just, are they that, that desperate for money? The tithe, according to Scripture, is my confession of trust that God is going to continue to provide. I'm telling God in an act of worship, you are my provider, and I believe you're going to continue to provide for me, so I'm trusting you with the tithe. You already own 100%, but you only ask for 10% right now. What a great conversation. Mommy and Daddy, why do you give money to the church? Well, you got to pay the pastor. No, that's not it. <laughs> you give money to church because God tells us to bring the first fruits of the tithe into his house. God has given us this incredible gift, incredible words, incredible things all around us as reminders and conversational pieces. We've got to use them. The challenge this morning is this. If you've accepted Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, if you know you're a child of God, make this week a week of conversation about Him.
we, we talk about all sorts of things from the weather to what we watch on TV to movies to sports, and those are fine. But when you have those conversations, make sure that God is a part of that conversation. If you're a football fan, man, make a reference to Nick Foles' testimony during his little interview this last week. If you're a movie fan, man, talk about a movie that impacted your life spiritually. Find ways to bring God in and make sure that you're in God's Word. You may be here this morning, and here's the truth you need to know. God loves you. God created you for a relationship with Him. You may, be think, you may think you're here because someone invited you or made you come, but the reality is there's a God in the heavens who sits on His throne who's calling out to your heart in this very moment. And he wants to be in a relationship with you. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. Because like me, you make mistakes. You do things you shouldn't do. And we can't be good enough. We can't do things to erase that. But Jesus Christ died for your sins, your mistakes. They placed him in a tomb and he rose three days later. You could be completely forgiven. The Bible says, when I believe that God did that for me, and I confess Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, I will be saved. It does not say I have to understand everything. It does not say I have to know Genesis to Revelation word for word. I just place my faith in what Jesus Christ did. You may be here this morning and that's something you need to do. So I'm going to invite you to come down. I'm going to be down here standing. Just say, hey, Pastor Mike, I want to be saved. I want to be sure that I'm saved. Maybe you're here and you've already done that, but you've yet to follow Jesus Christ in the act of baptism. And that's something you know you need to do. You need to take that step and, and let it be known you've accepted Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. I'm just going to ask you to come down and say, hey, that's me. I, I've accepted Christ, but I need to be baptized. That's something I've, I've yet to do. Maybe you're worried about some of this challenge for the next week. You just need to come and kneel before the Father and say, God, give me the strength because I know what my calendar looks like and I don't know how I can do it. This is the time not just to be hearers of the word but doers. So I'm going to pray. We're going to stand. Jackson's going to lead us in an incredible song. <laughs> and I'm going to invite you to come if God's laid something on your heart. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that... You've given us everything we need for life and godliness. But your word reminds us over and over again, it's not to keep to ourselves, it's to share. It's to give away. So let us be faithful. Let us be faithful in our homes with our children and our grandchildren. Let us be faithful with the people in our lives that are seeking after you or have just begun a relationship with you. But that we would teach what we have come to know about you and the work you've done in our lives. Let us be faithful to your word that is sharper than any double-edged sword, that is living and active. Forgive us those times we find it dull. Father, let us be faithful to your kingdom and the work you want to do here in Stratford and the communities around. Father, I pray that you alone be glorified through Harvest Hill. When people think of Harvest Hill, they think of you and your presence, and your word, and your gospel. I thank you for what you've been doing, even in times where it's been difficult, and it's been hard, and it's been heartbreaking. But Lord, you are faithful. 
Your word says over and over again, your word is trustworthy and true. That you will not break your promises. Let us be people who clings to it. Well, forgive me if I failed you in any way. Preaching your word, if I've gotten in the way and tried to put in my own wisdom. Lord, I pray that you would just take that away from our hearts and Lord, it just be your truth that is sinking in in this moment, that your spirit would be bringing that to our mind and our attention. Father, we would love you in this time of invitation with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ. We're struggling right now in the relationship. Father, you give them a sense, as the psalmist said, that they would pant for you as streams of living water. They just couldn't get enough. Pray for those here this morning, Lord, that you know are not your children. Lord, that they would have the courage to step out of the aisle and come down and begin that relationship with you. Above all else, Lord, I pray that this time would glorify you and you alone. So let your will be done. We place in the name of Jesus. Amen.